Yeah, y'all might as well get used to that. There's going to be a lot of church clapping in heaven, too. So, um, man, I, um, the, the students led us well. They are not, listen, they are not junior Christians. They are not low-level Christians. They, are, they were leading us in worship today. And we thank God. Um, Carolyn, um, I think I probably cried more than Carolyn uh -huh, as I, um, at 13 years old, I became a believer. And my, and my church had enough sense to say, we want our, our students and our children to love Jesus. And... Um, and I believe I'm not in jail today. I believe that I am not strung out today because there were people like a Ben Diaz and a Ben Burnt and others who invested and poured into me to help me to know Jesus and love Jesus and kept me off the streets of Chicago so that I might even be standing here today. And so, so when you see our students and... And it's a genre that you're not familiar with. Don't criticize, thank God. Don't criticize, praise God for what he is doing in the midst of our church. And I tell you, these students that you saw, I'm going to get to the message. These students that you saw, this is not a show that behind the scenes during the week they are at homes worshiping God. They are bringing themselves together as students, and they are worshiping and bowing before Jesus. They came uh, a week ago. They were here in uh, one of, the, uh, one of the, the, we call it the gather suite, and they had a worship night just for students. It's because they are hungry for God. They are hungry to worship him. And uh, Jesus says, uh, a little child shall lead them, and today they led us well. They led us well. So if you want to go out and buy Lecrae, and um, that'll, that'll, that'll help you. Uh, okay, Lecrae is a rap artist, a Christian rap artist, and, uh, and just forget it. All right, I, we won't. <laughs> Well, today uh, we, we've, been, uh, we've been doing uh, a series of messages uh, called You Asked For It. And, um, and you asked for certain things, to what the Bible says about certain things. We've talked about a number of things. We've talked about race and technology, and we've talked about relationships, and we've talked about forgiveness and angels and demons. We've talked about the will of God, and today... Um, I drew the short straw to talk about death and dying. Now, again, I know that's a morbid subject. It's not one that we like to talk about, and yet it was one of the things that people asked for. So the question is, what happens a minute after we die? Do we shuffle off the stage and, and kind of cannonball into nothingness and obscurity? Or is there something more? I think for many, death is a big problem. 
And uh, author Adam Goldner actually double-clicks on this in his book, The Book of Immortality, The Science, Belief, and Magic Behind Living Forever. He actually details efforts to remedy the problem of death. At the cutting edge of this effort, um, there are some of the world's richest individuals. And Goldner writes, there is something about amassing more money than you can ever possibly spend that naturally makes you hungry for ways to stay alive longer, if not forever. And one of those individuals that he talks about is the president or the CEO of Oracle Corporation, Larry Ellison. And Larry Ellison is the fourth richest man in the world. He just edged out Bill Gates last month, and he contributes more than $40 million a year to feed the hunger to live forever. So Ellison views death as another corporate opponent, someone to outfox and to defeat. And he, in fact, he set up a foundation to end mortality. I wonder how that's going to work out for him. This is what Ellison says. He says, death makes me very angry, as it should. It should make all of us angry because it was never part of God's original plan. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has, uh, that other part, I threw that in. He didn't say that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish, just not be there? He is right. Death doesn't make sense. So let's see if we can make sense or the Bible can make sense of death and dying for us. Well, what does the Bible say about death? Again, I know that's a morbid question to ask. It's not an inviting question to ask. And in fact, uh, Solomon says something very startling in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. Better to spend your time at a funeral than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take it to heart. So the reason it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party is because funerals actually snatch us out of the dream world of facades and fakery. A funeral is as real as real can be. Death is the ultimate reality of this life. Funerals force us to think about our own death and what we're doing with our one and only life. I think also funerals make us reflect on two realities about death, and that is that death is universal and death is irreversible. In fact, the psalmist in Job actually double-clicks on this as well. This is what the psalmist says, no one can live forever. I guess Larry Ellison didn't read that. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. And then Job picks it up for soon I must go down that road, talking about death, for, from which I will never return. That is the irreversible part. So we, we, we kind of know that, but I think the real and more pressing question that's on our minds is, where do we go when we die? Where do we go when we die? This is a question that I think grips all of humanity. Whether they admit it, whether we admit it or articulate it that way or not, it grips all of us. Do we simply play our part, our part shuffle off the stage in obscurity and nothingness? Or do dead people go to a better place, as some would suppose? 
Again, the, the pain of death is so great. It is so great and so unbearable, and we all kind of know this, that um, we desire some level of assurance that, that, that my cousin, my brother, my friend has gone to a better place. And I understand this. I understand this. But if a person has never surrendered their lives to Jesus, that is a guarantee that we cannot give. So why do we think this? Why do we think that all people, all, be- all people, all dead people go to a better place? Well, I believe there are several, several reasons why we think this. And uh, one is, I'm going give to them, give them to you relatively quickly. One is, is that uh, the rise of psychics. Psychics existed in the Bible. Psychics and mediums existed in the Bible. And they exist today. The work of psychics is called channeling. And channeling is that I am going to bring a message back from the dead, from a dead cousin or brother or father or mother, and I'm going to bring the message back to the living. It's called channeling. Modern examples of this, you probably have heard some of these, Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium or John Henry, or James Van Prague, or Tyler Henry, the Hollywood medium. Many of these mediums and many of these psychics have been uh, successful, quote-unquote, and made popular by celebrities. They claim to be able to talk to the dead and bring messages back from beyond. That is, this is what your grandmother says. This is what your mother said. Your father told me to tell you this. And they bring, they attempt to bring messages back. And yet God consistently condemned any attempt to speak to the dead. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. And do not let your people, talking about the people of Israel, do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord it is, because other, it is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. So why did God give this command? He gave this command because consulting psychics and consulting mediums, uh, it would prevent Israel from be- becoming a peculiar or a, um, a, a, a nation that would be able to bless other nations. So, so God was saying, how can my people bless other nations when they are doing what other nations do? How can my people who are called by my son's name actually impact the world when we are depending on psychics and mediums for our future? I believe also uh, God gives this command because um, the people were resistant to trusting God, the sovereign hand of God, that God was smart enough and omniscient enough, that is, he knows everything, to actually determine their future as opposed to using magical manipulation from psychics and mediums. Wait, Wait a minute, Marvin. 
um, some things these psychics actually say. I heard them say, and people who are receiving these messages, they seem to say that the psychics and mediums are spot on. Therefore, it must be real, right? Well, according to Scripture, the dead cannot come back to life or come back to us. Jesus was the only one who, was that, who does that. Um, um, scripture, uh, they, they cannot send messages back to us. Scripture says that. So could it be, and Jack hinted on this a couple of weeks ago, could it be that demons are masquerading as dead relatives and friends? Well, see, in the Old Testament, uh, God calls this kind of activity familiar spirits. And the reason he is called, they're called familiar spirits, it suggests that demons are familiar with the life of the deceased. That demons are familiar with all of the activities of our lives. They see what we've done. They've become very familiar with our patterns and our habits. And so, when you, the mediums and psychics say these things, and it seems that they seem to be spot on, we believe, based on Scripture, that they are speaking to demons, getting information about your relatives or your friends from them, so that you might be hooked in, and that your heart might be open to darkness. And again, these kinds of practices are not practices that are led by the Spirit of God. These practices are led by the the sinful nature and our flesh. Listen to what Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So anyone who is not being led by the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit, Because as a believer, the moment you become a believer, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, and he leads us, and he guides us. Now, the individuals who are not being led by the Spirit, these are the manifestations of not being led by the Spirit. It says, those who follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, and here's our word, sorcery goes back to mediums and psychics, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, uh, division, uh, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So I believe the Spirit is not leading a person who seek out psychics and checking horoscopes. I'm a Gemini, and I'm an Aries, and I'm a Taurus. I don't act like that. Well, well, the Spirit of God is not leading us. If you and I are checking our horoscopes to see what the stars are saying about our future, it goes against what it means to be led and controlled and be shaped and formed by the Spirit of God. I know that may not be popular in our day and age because there are individuals, even Christians, who say, my personality is a Virgo personality. So Virgos don't do that. And it's like, I want to say so badly many times, it's like, if you're a believer, why are you depending on the star? Why are you depending on stars? Why not depend on the one who made the stars? He is the one who controls our lives. 
So why do people actually consult psychics and mediums, and why do they do that? I'm going to give these to you quickly because there are probably several reasons why. Number one, people desire answers. People desire answers. Listen to Isaiah chapter 19, verse 3. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I will confuse their plans. They will plead with their idols for wisdom and call on spirits, mediums, and those who consult the spirits of the dead. So when we pray and don't get answers from God, we become impatient, we lose heart, and when we lose heart, we search for alternative answers. And sometimes people find themselves checking horoscopes and consulting mediums and psychics. Secondly, people are disobedient. Jack touched on this um, a couple of weeks ago. People are disobedient, and I'm not going to just, you'll see the reference there, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 15, and Saul consulted the medium or the witch at Endor, even though Saul knew that God had forbidden his people to consult psychics and mediums, and yet he did it anyway, and as he did it, the witch actually called up, this was an anomaly, called up Samuel the prophet. We don't see any other time in Scripture that God does this one thing. And when Samuel was raised up, we, don't have, we, have, we have indication that it was not a demon masquerading as Samuel's spirit. But we do know, uh, we do believe that Samuel actually came back. And when he did, he actually rebuked Saul for actually consulting the witch. And then lastly, I think Satan deceives people. He deceives people. Look at second, look, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and verse 14. These people are false apostles. This is Paul talking about false preachers and teachers. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles. They were preaching, but they, their lives were, um, were not aligned with Scripture. They were preaching, but they were preaching a different gospel. They were preaching, but they were preaching false, a false gospel. And then Paul has this parenthetical conversation and says, but I'm not surprised that they are doing that because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So information about psychics or information from psychics and channelers and mediums, it is totally unreliable. Listen to what Isaiah says. I love this passage. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. And listen, to this, this, is, this is so cool. This is, this is the verse we ought to live by. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Shouldn't the living, should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. Now, this may be difficult for some to hear, but no one talk to your grandmother. No one talk to your aunt. No one talk to your friend. No one talk to your mother from the dead. I believe according to Scripture, spirits impersonate, uh, uh, demon spirits impersonate those individuals, bringing words back. Why? To deceive us, to go around God, to go around Jesus, and to be addicted to the immediate. 
Because the, the moment you get one reading, guess what? You're going to go back and get another and another and another until you are dependent on the psychic and the medium. As followers of Jesus, we should diligently seek him for answers for our problems and puzzles. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He knows everything about your past and my past, your present and my present, and he knows everything about your future and mine. Why not consult the one who knows it all? So I think there's a second reason, though, people think all dead people go to a better place, and that is testimonies of near-death experiences. Some people claim to have died and returned to their bodies to give information on the life beyond. Most near-death experiences that I've heard about, they are positive experience, whether a person believes in Jesus or not. Now, listen, let me tell you, I, I do believe that there, there are individuals who have, who have experienced these kinds of near-death experiences, and we're going to take a look at one in Scripture in just a bit. But here's one description, and, and we have to be very careful when we listen and hear about near-death experiences. Here's one near-death experience that, um, that I think sometimes can hook us in, right? This woman named Betty Eadie, in her bestseller, Embraced uh, by Light, gives an account of her visit to the other side. She claims to have seen Christ and thus even dedicated her book to him. This is what she says at the beginning of her book. To the light, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom I owe all that I have, he is the staff I lean on. Without him, I would fail. Well, Marvin, what's wrong with that? That sounds like it comes straight out of the Bible. Well, you have to read on. At first blink, this sounds very consistent with Scripture, becomes, but it becomes apparent as you read on that the Christ she's talking about is not the Christ of the New Testament. Listen to what she says. So Jesus is, uh, Jesus is this benevolent being to her, is a benevolent being of light that surrounds her in such a way that she could not tell where her light stopped and where his light began. Jesus, she tells us, is separate from the Father and would do nothing to offend her. There was no reason to regret past deeds, for we as humans are not sinful creatures. Indeed, human, listen, listen to this, human spirit beings assisted the heavenly Father at creation. God didn't need any help from us. Thankfully, the world is not filled with tragedy as we suppose in the presence of Christ. Edie concluded, I knew that I was worthy to embrace him. Now, listen, this is, let me, this, is a, this is for free. This is kind of a side note. This is the reason why it's important for us to know our Bible. This is the reason why it's important for us to understand Scripture so that we can line up what we hear in the streets and what we hear in the world and what we hear on the Internet to line it up with the Bible to see if the same Christ they're talking about is the same Christ of the Bible. Does this make sense? I know I, this, this is like, this is one of these things that we hold, we have to hold on to. And there are problems, there are many problems with what she says, but I'm going to give you a couple, just one, I mean. So, so she talks about there, uh, no one is sinful. There is, 
no sin in the world. Well, human beings are sinful from birth. And this is what the word of God says, for everyone has sinned. We've all fall short of God's glorious standard, Romans 3 and 23. And then Romans 5 and 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Again, if we're not sinful creatures, there would be no reason for the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with near-death experiences, I believe that I believe they can occur. I believe the problem, though, we, we can't accept them without scrutiny and without questions. I think we must carefully evaluate them and to see if they're consistent with what the Bible says about God and what the Bible says about Jesus. I think I... I I, I know that prior beliefs in Jesus are essential in understanding I'm going to the better place. Or uh, it, uh, our belief in Jesus is vital when we talk about these near-death experiences. Now, I, if, if God does give a person a near-death experience, a, a, a near-death experience, he is not going to bypass his son. He is not going to say, oh, just live a good life now, now that you've seen the light, now that you've walked toward the light. You know something? Go and just be a good person. God will always use use the experience to lead us to Jesus. He will always use an experience like that to lead us to Jesus. But Satan would love to try to duplicate a near-death experience so that we might bypass Jesus. Here's, a, here's one near-death experience in Scripture. This is Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56. This is Stephen, who is a committed follower of Jesus, deacon in the church, and one who loved Jesus. He's being stoned, and he's about to die. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And Satan would love nothing more than to deceive us. He would, do, he would love nothing more than to deceive us to think that we can bypass Jesus to get to the better place. That near-death experience must be scrutinized. But I believe there's a third reason that we sometimes think that all people go, all dead people go to a better place, is that somehow God will grade on a curve. You know how teachers grade on a curve? Like, like you, like you, like, like the, the highest score was, was 85, and then the, the, the teachers grade on that. It's like, I think sometimes we think that God grades that way. And I believe that some individuals think that somehow God is... That God somehow, all right, I don't want to trip. That God somehow has a scale. And that somehow our there are individuals who think that um, I, if my 
once I die, if, if all of my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then somehow God will let me into heaven. And so we rack up good deeds and we rack up good deeds. And, oh, that was that time I went to church on Christmas. So that's, uh, and this was a time I gave $20 in church. And so we rack up all of our good deeds and we have a lot of good deeds and we say, yeah, I have more I have a lot of good deeds in the bank. But then you have, you have evil deeds over here. And it's like, whoa. See, you see the game we're playing now? I, I got to, okay, I, let's turn this around. These are, these are all my evil deeds over here. And now I have to come up with a lot of good deeds. And, and, and you know, this, this is when I bullied that kid. This is when I stole something. And so these are our evil deeds. And then... Like, I got, man, I got to work. I got to work to have a lot of good deeds. I, I have to go to church, and I have to give money, and I have to be nice to people. And we rack up our good deeds over here and our good deeds over here. And yes! And we have more and more good deeds. And, and yet, some of those good deeds, we, we take them out and say, whoa. And then that other bad deed I did, and I thought, whoa, now I got to do more good deeds over here. Put them over. And it's, we play this game all day long. And the reality is this. How do you and I know when there is enough good deeds that will please God? We will never know. So we think that we have to live according to scales. But I think also we play the comparison game. That we compare our lives to other people's lives, and I'm not as bad as her, I'm not as bad as him, and so that should be worth something, and God should take all of that in consideration. At least I didn't kill anybody, God. And I think we play the sincerity game as well. I'm sincere about what I believe, and God has to be okay with my sincerity. It doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere in what I believe. Well, the, tru- the truth is, is that uh, the Bible is clear. Romans 3, 23 through 25 can't say it any clearer. For God, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ. Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of sin, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood for everyone, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And then John 14 and 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A holy God has standards, and he does not base that standard on sincerity or scales or comparison. So what happens to the believer at death? Well, the Bible is very clear. Our souls go into a conscious, into the conscious presence of the Lord. Listen to Luke chapter 23, verse 43, and Jesus replied to the thief on the cross, I assure you today, because the, the, the thief said to Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus says to him, I assure you today, I will be, you will be with me in paradise. That was the thief's way of saying, I surrender to you, Jesus. I believe that you are Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God. And Jesus, in that moment, said, you'll be with me in paradise. And then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So for the believer, if you are a believer, that the moment you die, if your cousin or your brother was a believer, if your father or mother was a believer, the moment they breathed their last, they were in the conscious presence of God. Conscious presence of God. Our bodies are buried until Jesus comes back. Our bodies are, pres- our bodies are buried until Jesus comes back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 18, this is what it says. It says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Next. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. What about cremation, Marvin? Well, if the God who created the world out of nothing ex nihilo, he can certainly find our ashes and bring them back together and bring us together, uh, bring our bodies together. And then ultimately, God will raise our bodies uh, when, he, when Jesus returns. God will then reunite our bodies and souls, and we will be with the Lord forever. So what happens to unbelievers? And again, this is the sad part. And again, we believe that God does what he wants, but we have the scriptures that he left us with. The soul of the unbeliever is sent to hell. No, that's an unpopular view. Luke chapter 16, don't have time to go through the entire thing. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, a man dies, and he was, um, he was not a believer in God. He did not live his life in such a way that it was aligned and committed to God. And the text says that the poor man that he bullied all, all of his life went to heaven, and that man went to hell. So we do know that that is a soul of the unbeliever is sent to hell. Now, again, I need to let you know that hell was not created for human beings. It was created for Satan and his angels. Matthew 25 and 41 says that. Listen to the text. It says, then the king will turn to those who are on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into uh, the eternal fire prepared, not for human beings, but for the devil and his angels. So the soul of unbelievers are sent to hell. 
God will raise up believers just like he does. Uh, 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 he will raise up unbelievers just like he does believers. He'll raise up their bodies at the great white throne. And uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Um, that you, can, you can look that passage up. I want to kind of finish this up. You can look that passage up. The great white throne is not, um, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Now, God will evaluate our lives, and he will evaluate what we've done, but we will, we will those who are believers and trusted Jesus, they will go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. But unbelievers, their entire lives will be judged, and there is no purgatory, there is no getting it right, there is no second chance, third chances. We have this one shot that we're living right now. And then the unbeliever will be eternally separated from the presence of God. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I, I love this quote. Sin is the human being saying to God throughout his or her life, go away, leave me alone. Hell is God finally saying to the person, you may have your wish. So the real question, though, very personal question, is what will happen when you die? What will happen when you die? It's not based on sincerity. It's not based on comparison. It's not based on scales, good deeds outweighing bad deeds. It's not based on that at all. It is based on one thing and one thing only, and that is what did you and I do with Jesus Christ? Did we give our lives over to him? Did we trust him as the only way to, to the Father? Did we trust him as Lord and Savior? The question is, have you made that commitment? Good deeds won't get you there. Church attendance won't get you there. Giving to charity won't get you there. Being sincere won't get you there. Good deeds outweighing evil deeds won't get you there. Recognizing that a holy God has holy standards, and we don't measure up to those standards, and Jesus does, and his death on the cross is our ticket to the better place. Adam Goldner, the author that I mentioned earlier at the beginning, concludes by saying this. Death may not make any sense, but perhaps it can be defeated. Well, it has been defeated. It's been defeated by Jesus. So let me, let me, try, to, let me try to explain. So, so here are... Here's all the stuff. It's all your bad deeds. Don't know when you've done enough good to outweigh the bad. And you need somebody to balance the scale, to actually tip the scale. And it's not about good deeds and bad deeds. It's not, about, it's not about going to church. It's not about that. It's about one thing. And it is about the one who is called the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, but Jesus Christ, 
They sang about that firm foundation, the one who died, buried in a grave, and rose again. He says, I'm the only one who can balance the scale. It's not about what you and I do. It is about what someone has done, and Jesus has done the work. And all you and, have to, you and I have to do is say, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a grave, and I believe on the third day you rose again. And today I am surrendering my life life, my future, not to psychics, not to mediums, but to the one who knows the future, and that's you, God. So, I'm done, but I believe there's someone here today. You don't know Jesus, and I would not leave this place. And I'm not, this is not a scare tactic at all. Please hear me. I want to say this before I, I, I as, as a kind of the, the, the front of this, is that you are loved by God. All of this evil stuff, the evil deeds, you are loved by God. He says, that's the reason I sent my son no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, the, the God of heaven who created heaven and earth loves you. And he wants a relationship with you through his son. And today can be your spiritual birthday. Or maybe you've walked away from God. I'm going to call the, have the prayer team to come up now. Maybe you've walked away from God. And today is a good day to build your life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have a church home. You're just kind of checking this out. It's like, ah, I don't know. And, man, that, that you need a group of people around you to help you live out and walk with Jesus. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close our time. I'm gonna close our time, but man, I, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or if you're uncertain about your relationship with Jesus, we will be down front to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. But I tell you, I would not leave this place without saying, Jesus, I want you to direct my life. I don't know what all that looks like right now, but I believe you were speaking to me today. And today is a good day to make that decision. I know this feels morbid and like, oh, I don't want to hear it out. I just want to think about a party and that sort of thing. But I'm telling you, as Solomon says, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party because we get to actually see what we're doing with the one and only life that God has given us. So let's stand. If you're here, don't have a relationship, uncertain, man, these people down front, they love you, God loves you, and would love to have conversation with you. Let's pray. So Father, thank you. For your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you that you have made a way for us to trust, uh, to, to know you, and that is through Jesus. It's not through sincerity. It's not through scales. It's not through comparison. It truly is the one and only firm foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in people's hearts even now. So thank you. Thank you for this day, and thank you for your people. And I pray that you would infuse us with revival. You would infuse us with renewal. You would refuse us, infuse us with, with restoration. You would infuse us with this hunger, this deep hunger to know you and know you better. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And if you're here today, please, please come. If you have another prayer concern, they'll be ready to pray for you as well.